anointed, set apart by a holy God to do things in an uncommon manner. So, first of all, we see that God is holy because now here we have in Matthew, he sends the epitome of his anointed. One of the things about Matthew is he's here to show you that there's been a whole bunch of little sneak previews of what God is up to and who God is. But now that Jesus has come, the grand finale has occurred. David, great king, who was called my anointed. Even the pagan king, Cyrus, who allowed the exiled, stay with me if you don't know your scriptures, who allowed exiled, captive uh, Israelites to go back home. Like, all right, we're not going to keep you all here. We're going to let you go back home. A pagan king was the first one to allow that to happen. And even he was called my anointed. Jesus comes and says, am I just like them? No, he's Jesus Christ. He's the anointed. And so that means that God is holy. Every now and then he has to set stuff apart because he's not just regular. And so he has to empower people to not just be regular. You know, the Bible says that if you know Jesus Christ, he gave you his spirit because you are his anointed. See, what he does flows from who he is. And so the first thing we see just by the opening uh, sentence is that God himself is holy. Therefore, he sent us a holy anointed individual who would handle a unique task. And we'll get to that task as we go. But not only that, he is faithful. The God who gave us Christmas is faithful. Stay with me. This won't be rocket science today, but it will be accurate based on how Matthew uniquely crafted his gospel account. The Bible says that, uh, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Genealogies play a strategic role in the Bible. The fact that Matthew starts his book off with a genealogy gives you insight into how, like, why he even wrote the, the, the gospel account the way he wrote it. So if you go to Luke, Luke has a genealogy of Jesus too. But Luke's genealogy is different than Matthew, which is why we're going to see that Matthew wanted to surface something unique about Jesus. Luke traces Jesus all the way back to Adam, the son of God. He wants you to know that Jesus is connected to everyone in the human race. Matthew takes Jesus back to Abraham and stops right there. Because Matthew is just here to let Jews know who've been waiting for God to make good on his promise that God has been faithful in his promises. The Jew can stop looking for Messiah. Jesus Christ is Messiah. And let me show you just by his ancestry how you can trace him back to the patriarch of our faith, Abraham. And you can trace him back to the epitome of our great king, David. He's both. He's our Messiah. Stop looking. God has been faithful. So he looks and he says, son of David, son of Abraham. If you don't know anything about Abraham, let me just school you. God comes to Abraham in Genesis 12, reiterates it in Genesis 15, reiterates it in Genesis 17, that God promised a pagan cat named Abram that he was just going to step into his life, set him apart like he does anointed things, set him apart and do unique things for him and endow him with unique blessings. Abram is just pagan. He wasn't looking for 
for God. He wasn't being nicer than everybody else. God just stepped in because that's just the way God does it. Selects Abram, whose name means exalted father, singular. Even Abram said, man, what's good? I hear you, but I don't have any kids. So God says, listen, Abram, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make your name great. He says, I'm going to give you a great people, a whole bunch of people. I'm going to give you a banging land. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey we're going to see later. It's going to be a rich land. And through you, I'm going to bless all the nations uh, under, the, under the sun. Abraham is like, that's crazy because I'm Abram. I don't even have any kids. But the faithful God... Not only does he come through with his promise, but he does it in stunning fashion because he, he told Abram this when he was 75. The Bible says that it wasn't until 100 that the promise came through. It got so bad, his wife said, look, let's just get it in. Just go into one of my servants and that'll be our promised child. The Bible says that God says, nah, I told you this one is going to come from your body. And so what we see is Abram, if you take Jesus all the way back to Abraham, you're taking him all the way back to a God who not only fulfilled his promise to make him great because Abraham was great. Most people into the health and wealth thing love to go to Abraham who was blessed materially and say, see, we're sons of Abraham. We should be rotting in Benzes. And so uh, nothing wrong with the Benz, but I'm just saying you can't get that from Abraham having a lot of camels. And so... <laughs> Not only that, but he also, by Exodus, by the time of Exodus, we see that his seed had become great and the nation had grown and increased to the point where the Egyptians said, we better put these dudes on lock because, man, they're about to be so numerous that they're going to mess around here and turn on us and, and run us out of Egypt. So we see God made, made good on that. But you know what the Bible says? It says that was after 400 years. And now here we are over 1,500 years later, and the through you all nations will be blessed. He's a faithful God. He's just not always hasty. How many of y'all are looking at God because you're looking for his promises to come through? You know, this morning, all I can tell you is that during this Christ mass season, one of the things we see is just with the birth of Christ, we see that God is holy because he gave us a Christ, a Messiah, the epitome of all Messiahs, the kingpin of all Messiahs. And Messiahs were people who were set apart for holy work. Not only that, he's faithful. He says here, Matthew says, I'm not going to take him all the way back to Adam where just, just to say that he's genuinely human. I'm going to tell you that I'm going to take him back to Abram and I'm going to take him back to David to show you he's genuinely the expected one. And so God, even though it's been 15 years later, is about to kick off in stunning fashion another piece of this covenant that he made. The other thing that he said was to David. To David in 2 Samuel 7, he said, David, don't worry. You're going to have a seed. Somebody will come from you that will have an eternal throne. All Israel's life through history, they were waiting for somebody who would make good on the promise, especially the Davidic one. Now imagine them, that not only were they always in slavery because of their own sin, but by the time Jesus is born, Rome is on their neck now. 400 silent years of God not giving them any new stuff. I'm not saying anything new. 
has just, uh, has just transpired. And now you see Jesus coming and breaking the silence and says, uh, here I am. Matthew says he came. God was, wasn't slack in his promise. The Messiah is here. He's faithful. Matthew uses his genealogy to prove the one you've been waiting for did come. That means that God has been faithful. Not only is God faithful, he's gracious. Another thing in this this genealogy, this genealogy puts women in, and that's rare in Jewish genealogies. Look what it says here. It says here that, uh, let's just read from verse 2. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, one woman. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab, the father of Nishan, and Nishan, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, another woman. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, another woman. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Keep going. And, the, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, another woman. This is unique. Again, once again, you have to appreciate the fact that Matthew knew what he was doing. He didn't just look over and say, what did Luke say? He didn't just say, what, what, are, what is the word on the street about Jesus' ancestry? He knows he's borrowing from common uh, ancestries or genealogies, but he says, but I'm going to uniquely craft mine to serve my purposes. I want the Jews to know God's been faithful. He's made good on his promise. The expected one is here. God is holy, which is just an observation that we see just from the fact that he makes a genealogy of one called Jesus who was Messiah. But now look at the grace. We don't know why he put the women there. Some people say, well, you notice that all those women sort of have an issue. You know, you got Bathsheba. She was caught in adultery. You got Rahab. If this is the one from Joshua, she was a prostitute. Uh, we've got Tamar. Uh, she was pregnant by, uh, by incest. Uh, and then you have Ruth, who Ruth was just a Gentile who sort of jumped on the Jewish bandwagon or the Israeli bandwagon and was proselytized in. So somebody who was looking for the legitimate of this Messiah who were looking for loopholes and I, he's not the Messiah, will come and say, I see problems here. Too many issues surrounding these people. Too many uh, uh, bad deeds with some of them. Too many scandalous things. But you know, the God who gave us Christ is a gracious God. You know why? Because in spite of the fact they're riddled with issues, God didn't leave them out. Not only didn't the Holy Spirit leave them out of being, being recognized in the genealogy, but he didn't leave them out in terms of being connected with the Messiah. You know that every woman, every Israeli woman, every Hebrew woman wanted to be the means by which God brought Messiah in, which is why when they were barren, they were like, oh, no, I can't believe it. Like, basically, I'm, I'm, this is shame on me. I can't, like, you know I won't be the means. By which Messiah comes. Look at God being gracious. Titus 2.11 calls the whole advent of Jesus coming grace. It says the grace of God has appeared. And it uses a Greek, uh, it's called the aorist tense. A Greek tense that basically lets you know this, this uh, has appeared is an event. There's several ways you can use grace. Your grace is sufficient. But that's not a the grace. 
And that's not has appeared with a finality. The grace of God came. Just Jesus being born was God's grace showing up to undeserved people. And now you look at his inclusion of women. Matthew just, again, he gives it, makes it real easy for us to see the grace of God because in spite of people's issues, God didn't uh, step to the side and overlook them. We were at the wedding Friday and one of the, the bride said to the groom, I just thank you because I was afraid that when you found out who I was, you wouldn't marry me. She said, but when you found out who I was... And when you found out my past, you still made me your wife. This is the kind of God that we serve. The kind of God that who does know you, who does know how many things disqualify you from his, his, him, for him pouring anything good in your direction. But he does it because the God who gave us Christ is just gracious. Anybody got any issues? Even stuff that is just too risky. Kobe Bryant lost all his deals when they thought he committed adultery, I mean rape. They just thought that he raped her, but soon as he was but before he was uh, he was acquitted, he lost his deals. Michael Vick before he was sentenced lost his deals. Some people just got issues. You don't want to have anything to do with them. Imagine if God were to determine not to do anything for us based on the fact there's issues surrounding us, scandal just surrounding you. Maybe you did. You might want to. What if God was to say, I'm not going to mess with them because you just never know. Grace says, even though I still will. The other reason why he probably did this is because now he's got to make he's got to help uh, them to understand Mary. Mary's about to be another one who there's going to be scandal surrounding her. So Matthew, so under the spirit of God, so carefully crafts his genealogy to include women who've got like something suspect surrounding them because that's the same thing that Mary is going to have to go through. And he says, keep in mind, God, God is the type to use people that seem like they have issues. If you got issues today, it doesn't have to be over for you. Also, our God is humble. He's holy. He anoints, sets to the side, because when you do his work, he has to put you in another category. He's gracious or he's faithful because he makes good on his promises, even if it takes a long time. He's gracious. He gives people who don't deserve it, and he gives people that other people just think they don't deserve it. All of his unmerited favor. And now he's humble. Talking about the God who gave us Christ. You go down from the lineage of Abraham to David, David to exile, exile to Christ being born. And this is what it says, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. You can stop right there. Shai said it repeatedly last night if you weren't here. The birth. Just that statement right there is humility. 
We're talking about the infinite God who always existed, talking about, yo, check out how I was born. The birth is God's demonstration that even God in his character has humility. Says it took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Not only was it, was it, is the birth in and of itself a demonstration that God is humble, you would have thought if you were me, if, you, if I were you, we would have been born okay, but we would have found a way to have been born like fully adult. Like maybe you, if you were me, like the Terminator. Remember the Terminator? Like he just dropped out the scholar, just, and this thing you know he went in and he was a full grown man. And when he got his clothes from the, my, anybody see it? <laughs> Humility says that you're born in the first place. Humility says God subjects Himself to the birth process. We want to make it easy on ourselves. I don't understand God. But he is, I mean, death. He humbles himself to death, but not a quick one, not a cyanide capsule that just puts you out. Not a, not a lethal injector, something a little more humane. He subjects himself to the worst kind, an agonizing death, one that takes a long time, one that's preceded by beatings. This humility, this is God, like... The Bible says that Jesus Christ says, have the same mindset, which, is in, which was in Christ Jesus, let it be in you, that though he was God, he humbled himself, made himself of no reputation. People, we're talking about the God who gave us Christ. My son Jeremiah, one day we were just looking at one of the songs, and uh, bottom line, we went into prayer afterwards, and he began to pray, and he, he had to, like, withdraw his prayer. He basically said, um, I would die. well, I wouldn't want to die for anyone. And he said, which is selfish of me. And then he prayed, and he did it, but God, da, da, da. He, he finished his prayer. And then afterwards, I was just bugging off him. I said, yeah, you see that? He, like, that was, a, that was a banging admission that, like, really, because the Bible says, really would somebody die for somebody good, let alone die for somebody bad. And so he says, yeah, he says, you know, and that just reminds me. That when we talk tough about ourselves, we're selfish. He says, but when God talks highly of himself, he's not selfish. He's right. <laughs> I was robbed. Like if God says anything about himself that's a compliment, he's not arrogant. He's right. <laughs> And yet he who was worthy of every adoration, every praise, made himself of no reputation. You know us. We make sure we get known. We make sure that somebody know we did it. We find a way to let people know. Did you see the... Uh, or, huh? Somebody else start getting the credit? Yeah, that, No, no, I did that one. God is humble. God is humble. The God who gave us Christ single-handedly in one act, based on how Matthew communicated. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. We're just confining ourselves to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. 
holy. He sends messiahs of whom the ultimate messiah. He's faithful. He promises something and then he keeps it. Even though it may take a long time. You know the, the bankruptcy law. My wife told me just recently said, you know, the change in the bankruptcy law because a lot of people run up a debt and they get so bad they know they'll never pay it, so they just declare bankruptcy so they'll never have to pay it. Now I've heard some people say, but I don't want to take that way out. Certain believers, they say, nah. Even if I have to file bankruptcy, I still want to pay it because I owe it. God is not like I'm gonna say something, but then I'm gonna hope it takes so long to come through with it. That you just forget, forget about it. You're going to have a seed who will sit on the throne forever. Psh, I ain't never going to have no seed. Forget it. Just forget it. Oh, my fault. My fault. But don't worry. I got you. A new promise is coming. Thanks for getting me off the hook. He's faithful. He's gracious. If you got issues today, if you've sinned today, if you know you're a sinner today, he's gracious. He's humble. So should we, based on him, because have this mind which is you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Not only that, check it. <laughs> He's understanding. He's understanding. Look at this. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." I look at this and I bug because God is an understanding God. That's the sense I get when I see God peeping Joseph's decision internally to put her away because he can't make sense of this. And But God intervenes and steps in and says, nah, 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 you don't have to do that. And gives him an inside scoop on what he's up to. God is an understanding God. He understands fears and he understands tears. This is the kind of God who gave us Christ. You got Joseph who doesn't want to marry somebody that he's like, how does she get pregnant? There is only one way you can get pregnant. And that's true outside of this. But God steps in overhears his heart planning to divorce her and put her away and says, I understand this is too much for him. I better step in on this one. And he sends an angel to say, nah, slow up. This is, this is my doing. This week it is bug when I was looking at that because this week I was just looking at the story of Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, the, the, first, uh, the firstborn son, not the firstborn, but the first birth son of Abram. The Bible says that he just overheard the lad in the wilderness crying. And the mother, like, basically like, oh, my goodness. 
Abraham, because of Sarah, pushed them out the crib. And so God just overhears and he comes. The first place we see Jehovah Elroy. The, the first place we see what God sees. God saw a lad who was thirsty. The, the, the first place that we see God seeing a mother with a son. You know, the tears and the fears of what are we going to do now? And God intervenes. Yeah. And says, I'm with you. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of you. And the Bible says, then he provided him with water. I looked at that. And I just said, man, God understands. He understands the small stuff that's going on in the earth. He's not just up there. Just yeah, keep the praises coming up. He's, he understands. I was laughing at this. Samuel. Samuel is on his way to anoint David. Samuel says, God. I can't go anointing David. If Saul finds out, he'll kill me. God says, okay, well, take a heifer, and I want you to go, and I want you to slay it, and act like, like basically tell him, not act like, tell him that you're sacrificing to me. Now, I, I looked at that. I said, man, you would think God just would, nah, don't worry. I'm going to distract him. Or, nah, don't worry. I'm just going to put the whim. He won't see you coming. Now, like, God plays along with the human script and doesn't just always, like, Act like it ain't humanly like possible to like God understands. You're crying. Ah, let me like like don't worry, I got you. You're afraid. Okay, I got a strategy for you. Take a lamb, go and God understands where you are today. Couldn't help but see that some of the tears and, fi- and like when Shah started praying about people who like God understands the tears. God understands our shortcomings. He knows how human, humans are. That's why Hebrews 2 says that he became like us in every way. So that, like, he knows how to administer the right treatment no matter where you are. People don't like a God that's just up there. If your God is the man upstairs, pity you. Because our God is Emmanuel. We'll get to that. He's understanding He saves. Our God saves. I don't know about your God, but our God saves. He says here, verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. One of the things I like is that no other religion has a God that claims that he saves them. He may just forgive them. That's what they say. He'll just, you know, weigh your deeds and just let you like. But he doesn't put on a suit and get down in the nitty gritty and save them. He doesn't do anything to save. He just says, I won't mess with you. That's not the same as I'll come save you. If you had an enemy that was drowning, I should get in there and help you finish. But I'm going to leave you alone. God is like, yo, don't worry. I'm coming in. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. Salvation is of him. That's who he is. Turn to Psalm 130 for me real quick. Talking about the God who gave us Christ. 
real quickly. 30 is real short, but it highlights this issue of paying for his people's sins. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O, o Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Now that's the person acknowledging they got sin. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? That's a person who understands that. And if God was to dish out what our sins deserve, we'd be in trouble. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is a steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This idea that God, when he sent Christ, was here to flesh this out. I'm here to forgive iniquities. I don't know what you want God for. I don't know what you ask God for. But the first thing God wants to deal with is your iniquities, your sins. And we live in a world that wants God for the stuff he provides, but they don't want him. And we always say, you know, one day you'll be in, like, God still leaves his stuff around even if you don't want him. But one day hell will be a place that's devoid of all God's benefits. You need to be saved. And this is what we tell them. So Christmas is a time where people have focused on this Christ. Whether we like Christmas or not, one of the things we say is, I don't care about that. But any time is a good time to focus on the God who gave us Christ. And this God is a God who saves. That's why he gave us Christ. Because the Bible says that he, she will bear a son. His name will be Jesus. Why? Because he will be in the saving business. Lastly, our God is with us. The one who gave us Christ is with us. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not. They didn't have intercourse until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. There's a, theory, there's a doctrine that says uh, that Mary stayed a perpetual virgin. But even Matthew writes, like, they didn't get it in until he had a son. Which lets you know that as soon as he had the son, and, you know, eventually it was on. <laughs> Our God is with us. Our God is with us. I'm going to close like this. Turn to Isaiah 7. He said, all of this, this faithfulness, this sending a Messiah, this grace, this humility, this, uh, he said, all of these things are to fulfill something. It's to fulfill what the prophet said back in Isaiah 7. And I'm going to close with this. 
Isaiah 7 is interesting because that already happened. Emmanuel already showed up before. Once again, Jesus Christ is the epitome of everything that preceded him that just was a little sneak preview of what he would be. If you read the story of Isaiah 7, it would be interesting because you would see that right now the southern... Dang, I hate the fact that we always are talking stuff that you got to really you gotta be up on Bible history for. But stick with us if you're not, because this is what we do. There's two kingdoms in Israel, right? Northern kingdom, southern kingdom, right? The southern kingdom had a few good guys in it. The northern kingdom had no good guys in it. Well, the northern kingdom started teaming up with other people to try to put pressure on the southern kingdom to help them to avoid Assyria who was wiping everybody out. So Assyria was the big boy on the block. And so the northern kingdom and the, started linking up. And he said, come on, southern kingdom. The only problem with you is you're the missing piece. We need you. Okay? So check this out. I'm going to read it, and we're going to close the book. Seven. In the days of Ahaz. Now, that's the southern kingdom, right? Son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. Rezin, the king of Syria. And Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel. See? That's the northern kingdom, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. Now, you've got to appreciate the context to, be, to, to benefit off of Emmanuel being God with us and that being good news. So just stick with me. So northern kingdom uh, links up with king of Syria, comes down because they, they like, yo, Assyria is trying to get us. We need you. All right. Check it out. So he says here, too, when the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So now the southern kingdom, which is smaller than everybody, is sitting up here terrified like, dang, now he didn't got forces. Oh, man. So he shook. Right. Now, watch this. Stay with me. And the Lord said to Isaiah. Right. Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway uh, to the washer's field. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrand. At the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. He says, look, Ahaz, uh, Isaiah, go to Ahaz and just tell him because I see he's shook. I see he's shook. Once again, the understanding God, right? No, uh, he, he should be shook. Do God re- back up, all right? He sends, God is on the offense. He sends Isaiah to him to say, tell him, don't worry about these two cats. They're nothing. They're like little wicks that are about to be extinguished, right? So look, he says here, he says, don't, don't, don't fear because Syria with Ephraim, verse 5, and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken broken to pieces so that it will no longer be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you 
you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So he goes, he says, listen, God has already promised the thing that you're scared of won't mess with you if you're firm in faith. Peep this. Because you've heard the... You've heard one verse, but you never heard the context. This is the context. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. All right. Isaiah says, ask God for a sign that you don't have to fear. Just anything. Ask God for anything. It could be ridiculous. Low as Sheol or high as the heavens. Ask God just so you can get strength because you need to be firm in your faith for this one so God understands that right now you're a little weak with yours. So he's ready to give you a sign. All right? Check this out. But Ahaz, we closing after this. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, now look, that sounds spiritual. No, no, I don't want to test God. No, no, no. I'm not going to ask for a sign. Right? But look by Isaiah's response. Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men, and then you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Now, they still going to get smashed. He says, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not been, have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Syria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly. Well, that keeps going. For the sake of time, let me stop. This happened. Everybody was wiped out. Now, the question on the floor is, what's good with the virgin who's going to bear a child and be called Emmanuel? Emmanuel means God with us. And guess what? This was a sign for Ahaz. Like, this was supposed to show Ahaz he made the wrong choice in not obeying what God said. It did happen. And the king and the son that came was the evidence that God is with us in the midst of stuff that's too big for us. So when he came and destroyed them, they said that God was with us. But that's just the itty-bitty version of what we see with Mary because the, the, the woman, the virgin, really is not necessarily somebody who's never slept with anyone before. The word here is a maritable age woman. She probably had slept with her. She basically was the wife of, of Ahaz. And so one of the things that the speculation is that this is a woman who's right in their midst, probably one of the women who were in the king's courts, one of his own wives. The young lady, which is a synonym for this Hebrew word, the young lady will be with child and they'll call him Emmanuel. So more than likely, this wasn't a virgin. 
Whether it was or it wasn't, when we get to the New Testament back in Matthew, it really is a virgin. But what they did was they, 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 they let you know that it's a virgin and not just a woman who, who's maritable or a nice young woman because it says before they came together, she was with child. So if it wasn't a virgin here, in this case, it's a greater fulfillment of this because now it really is a virgin. And though this is Emmanuel, just the son of uh, one of the people that were right in their midst, uh, this now is really God with us. That was just a sign that God is with us. This one really is God with us. And so when you put this all together on this Christmas time and this Christmas season, the question on the floor is, do you know the God who gave Christ? Do you know him? And is he trustworthy? Well, I say, this God is holy. Sinners ought to fear. He sets apart. You don't set nothing apart if everything's okay. Have you been set apart by God? He's faithful. Not only is that a pragmatic beauty, it's just a reality. You don't want to worship a God who changes, who's flighty. He's faithful. People who bank on their God need him to have this attribute. If you just wing, if you just throw stuff up and you don't even like, yeah, I mean, I, I know God, but we never have any kind of dealings. He's just up there. You don't need a faithful God. But if every day of your life you're leaning on someone called your God, you need him to be faithful. Hmm. He's gracious. You definitely don't need a God who's going to hold your sins against you. You need a God who's not going to make you jump through hoops to get his forgiveness. You need a God who's not going to make you pay for your own, because guess what? You and I can't afford it. The wages of one sin is death. He's humble. You may feel like, you don't need that. I need a high and lofty God. Well, humility doesn't mean you're not high and lofty. It means even the high and lofty know how to get low. Great example. Great example. He's understanding. You don't want a God who's just chewing your head off. Well, you don't understand. You've never been in my position. You're omnipotent. You're omniscient. You just don't understand. He saves. Does your God just get you to the gate and roll the little ball and hope your name pop up? Our God saves. The name of his Savior is Yahweh saves. And at the name of Yahweh saves, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lastly, is your God the man upstairs or is your God Emmanuel, God with us? Fred Flintstone used to rely on a dude named Gazoo. When Gazoo was around, he was a beast. Anything they wanted, Gazoo would handle. Only problem is every now and then, Gazoo wasn't with him. And right when they needed him most, he would never be there. After everything was solved without Gazoo, Gazoo would show up. Poof, oh, I was sleeping. (laughs) Our God is with us. 
And he says, lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so right now, if we just bow, feast on these truths. This Christ came into the world, he said, to give his life a ransom. John 3 says that God uh, didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. We pray that you will be saved. That's passive work. It has to happen to you. You don't save yourself. Matthew was unique with the way he opened up his gospel account. He just wanted to let people know to the Jewish nation, the one we've been waiting for is here. The one who's holy and sets apart is here. The one we've been waiting for is here, so the one who sent them is faithful. So today, if you are struggling with anything, And that's everything from you're hurting right now. He understands and he's gracious. If you're in sin right now, he's gracious. If you're in need right now, he's with you. He's with you. The Bible says believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. When Jesus was born... That he'll save his people from their sins was looking ahead to how he would save them. It was through a cross where he would die. This is what we preach week in and week out. Paul said this is the kind of stuff that's of first importance. The gospel is priority in any gathering. Simply because all of the, bene- the beauties and the benefits of what we talk about, you don't have access to until you're in Christ. Place your total trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, and be saved. Father, we just thank you for your goodness, your kindness, um, and we pray, Father, that uh, what you'll do is that you'll continue to get glory, continue to get honor. Um, that you'll continue to be with us. We feel like Ahaz, caught between a rock and a hard place, attacks on every side, pressures on every side. And yet, Father, without needing a sign, our sign is the cross. That's proof that you're with us. That's enough for us. We just call on you and we lean on you. Raise people up, Lord God, for the task at hand. We bless you, Father, for this time of year and how we can leverage it to talk more in depth about Jesus to people who wouldn't normally listen. Grant that to those of us that are out here sharing our faith. Grant us an opportunity and give people softened hearts. Give them available hearts. Give them an available time uh, schedule. And for those that are in here that are going through, Father, we pray that you would uh, make yourself known to them in ways that jump out at us from Matthew. 
They need you. We need you. And we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who came.